Well, it's, it's been an interesting week, I can say, uh, say the least, because, uh, you know, Scott and I talked about me preaching today, and, you know, we went over some passages and kind of settled on something, and then started working on it last week, and uh, studying, praying, reading about it, trying to come up to speed on the passage, and then in the, in the midst of, middle of that, you know, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston. So I grew up in Houston, so I'm very familiar with the flooding and the damage that these hurricanes can do. And even, uh, you know, when Hurricane Katrina uh, hit, I got to go down to Mississippi for a few days and just see the, the absolute destruction that can happen in the midst of these hurricanes. Now, as I was, again, kind of going through this passage, I was, you know, getting in contact with friends who were getting rescued. I was um, watching the news, as we all were, of people being rescued. And, and even the encouraging part of, you know, all the great humanity that we saw this past week. I mean, it's kind of restored my faith in man uh, of this is who we really are. But as I was going through this passage, there's a strong correlation from what I was studying to what I was seeing. See, we're, we're looking at Matthew 14 today, and this is the part where Peter goes out on a walk on water, but then he begins to sink. In the midst of his sinking, he says, Lord, save me. And as I was studying this passage, I had to think and had to reflect as I was watching all this news, as I was kind of going back and forth between the TV and writing or the internet, and think to myself, how many times this prayer was prayed over the last week down in Houston? You know, seeing people who lost everything. I watched a young man and his son with backpacks on, and they said, this is all we have. They lost everything. And Lord, save me. People on the top of, of roofs waiting to be rescued, not knowing when they're going to be rescued, just crying out, Lord, save me. Or the people, you know, the elderly are sick or in homes and watching the flood riders, the waters rise, not knowing when or if they'll be rescued, and simply saying, Lord, save me. You know, this is a prayer we probably all prayed, right? Am I the only one? <laughs> lots and lots of times. But it's an absolute desperation prayer. It's a prayer we pray when we don't have anything else to lose. When we're at the rock bottom and we can simply say, Lord, save me, because I've got nothing else. It's in this absolute kind of desolation, this absolute despair, where we don't think we have anything to live for, where we can actually start to begin the process of formation, of growing, because we, everything else has been shed away. You know, when we looked at what happened down in Houston, you know, when you're fighting for your life, race, socioeconomics, ideology, even religion don't matter. Living to see another day, that's what matters. And that's where we pick up our story today in uh, Matthew 14. And this is our series of great prayers that we're looking at. And we're looking at probably the single greatest prayer ever prayed and probably the most often prayer ever prayed brought to you by the disciple Peter who brought it to us way back in Matthew 14, 2,000 years ago. It's a familiar passage, and I know we've all prayed it, but I want to kind of give you some, some preface of what's happening in this scene. So Jesus had just found out that John the Baptist had been executed, and he was a little distraught. He wanted to get away, and he wanted to pray a little bit. So he's taking his disciples and trying to find a quiet place to pray, but the crowds followed him. They knew what was happening. They wanted to hear from him. So they followed him, and, and the passage says that Jesus had compassion on them, and he started teaching them. So he started teaching, and this went on for 
a long enough time that they were getting hungry. And this, we see the kind of this, another big miracle from Jesus where he feeds you know, over 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes. And this is the context of what we're seeing here. And this is where we pick it up in Matthew 14. It should be up on the screen behind me. I have to bring out my uh, large lettering here so I can read it. I lost it here. Hold on. I'll read it up on the screen. How about that? (laughs) So it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and get on and get before him to the other side. So he's essentially, he got all the disciples, put them in a boat, and he sent them off so he could kind of send the crowds off. He was just trying to make it a little easier, but also he had another motive here. Because after he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat that the disciples were in by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of night, he came to them walking on the sea. But the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat and the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So that's where we find this passage right now. And even though it's kind of a simple passage, there's a lot going on here that I want to kind of unfold. Because Peter's going through a formation process, and it's starting here in the boat. And we want to look in detail of what's happening with Peter and what we can learn from this passage and apply to our own lives. But to understand this, I want to, I want to ask you two questions you don't have to answer. But first off, like, how many times have you prayed this desperation prayer? How many times have you sat there and said, Lord, save me? And as you think of that, I want you to think about how many times have you had to pray that prayer because of circumstances you put yourself into. Yeah, I know for me it's a lot. So, because I remember a time where a buddy of mine, Steve, we were rock climbing out at 11 Mile Canyon. And as we're getting ready and getting together all our equipment and laying it out, it's about 120, 140 foot face. And I kind of looked at our rope and like, our rope's not that long. But we went on anyway. So Steve geared up and we weren't top roping, so we were using cam, so sticking these metal objects into the crevices and then they could hold the rope in case we fell. So Steve is climbing up, and he finally got to that point, and like, hey, Steve, we're running out of rope. And two things would happen at this point. So either Steve would climb back down, or I would have to do something drastic. Now, if you know Steve, he's an F-16 pilot. He's career Air Force, never saw an opportunity he couldn't tackle. So any challenge was just an opportunity for him. So that's when I realized I was going to have to do something drastic, because Steve was not going to come back down. So as I looked at this, I undid my rope, kind of let it go, and Steve kind of crawled up to a place where he could get comfortable. And so he tied himself in, and I'm standing there looking at the rock, and the rope, the end of the rope is about 15, 20 feet up on the rock. And there's a, there's a crevice here I'd have to jump in order to start the process. And that's when I said, oh, Lord, you know, if you could make this end well, that'd be great. 
because uh, I was on a men's retreat, and I was leading the men, so I had to get back and, you know, finish the retreat. It wouldn't look very good if I was in the hospital. So I jump across, I start climbing up, and I finally get to the end of the rope, and so I have to climb up about three or four feet further so I can get enough rope to tie myself in. So I tie myself into the harness, tug on the rope, and this is when I realize this isn't even the worst part of the whole process. Because Steve's not at the top. So there's going to be this like 15 to 20 feet where he's climbing from the top and I'm climbing from the bottom. Now, Steve and I teach rock climbing to kids, hundreds of kids. This is absolutely something we would not tell them to do. (laughs) But here we are on the side of a rock. And I'm again saying, Lord, you know, you could save me from this idiotic position I got myself into. That would be awesome. But we made it. God saved us. We We finished up. But how many times have we been in that type of situation that we put ourselves into and say, hey, Lord, you know, if you could throw me a bone and <laughs> make this work out okay, that would be great. Too many times we find ourselves in those situations. And these are the stories of, Lord, please save me from my own poor decisions, my own bad choices. These are the prayers we're quite often pleading with God because of our decisions, our circumstances our places in life, which is why I think this passage is near and dear to us. So in order to unwrap this a little bit, I'm going to walk us through several points. It's more than three, so it's okay. I'll control the time good. But we're going to look at several places to to what this means in the process of formation, what we're seeing in Peter and what we can apply to our own life. And the first step in this process is fear. If we go back to our story We see the disciples, they're in this boat. There's a raging storm coming on. And it says, the scripture says, they see a ghost coming toward them. And literally, that word is is translated into evil spirit. So they thought something bad was coming their way. I mean, this is like every bad movie, horror movie you've ever seen. It's lightning, it's thundering, waves are crashing, and they think something evil is coming their way. They're scared. They're scared to death, literally. But fear is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, fear can motivate us to one or two ways. Fear can make us cower down or it can make us rise up. It's what we do with that fear that makes the difference. Because here we find Peter and all the disciples in the boat just scared to death until Jesus says, it is I. But what are they supposed to do up to that point? How are they supposed to handle this fear? How do you step out of that fear we all struggle with? Because we all have a fear of failing, fear of not living up to what others think, not living up to our own expectations, or just fear of absolutely blowing it. How do we step out of that fear? This is what Peter does, and it's our next step, and that is faith. Stepping out on faith. Now, as I've read this story and I've read it my whole life, you know, I, I always think about, you know, if I'm in a raging store and I think I saw a ghost and Jesus says, it is I, my first thought wouldn't be, cool, let me come to you. Yet that's what Peter's first thought is. The only reason I would have that thought is because I've read the story of Peter. Like, oh, well, Peter did it. I could do it. Peter, with no preference, just says, cool, let me come out to you. But that's what faith is. Faith gets us out of the boat. Faith makes us do things that we could never imagine or do on our own when we have the faith to step out in Christ. And that's where we find Peter. In Hebrews 11.1, it tells us, 
that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Peter had no idea what would happen when he stepped out of the boat. I mean, Jesus said, come, he might have just still sank. He had no idea, but he stepped out on faith, and that's what faith does. We step out on faith to do something far more imaginable than we could ever dream of on our own. You know, as you watch the, the video this week down in Houston, you see all these, these people with, with trucks pulling boats. Well, they call it the Cajun Navy out of, out of Louisiana. They were all headed to Houston with no idea what they were in for. They had no idea what they would be doing or how they'd be helping, but they knew they had to step out in faith at some point to go help and do something remarkable. But that's what faith is. It requires us to step out of our comfort zone, step out of what we think is safe to be where God wants us to be. You know, I don't think the timing of this event is, um, can be missed as well because Jesus had just fed what we think is about 15,000 people. The, the Bible scripture says 5,000 men. So we think with women and children, there are about 15,000 people that he just fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. And I think Jesus was calling the disciples bluff because they're like, what are you supposed to do with this? And Jesus is like, I got this. I'm all you need. You don't need anything else. And and Peter wouldn't have known this at the time because it would have been fresh in his mind as he stepped out on the boat. It's those truly magnificent moments where you step outside, step out of the boat on faith, to do something truly remarkable. And that's where we find Peter. But the next step is usually a hard one. Because when we step out on faith, there's times where we may fall. Or in Peter's case, sink. But when we step out on faith and we see face to face with Christ, sometimes the reality of what we stepped out into hits us hard. And that's what happened to Peter. It says in the passage that Peter, it says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. Because we begin to sink when we look inward instead of outward. We begin to fall and we begin to sink when we focus on our circumstances over the Savior. You can tweet that if you want. You will always fall when you focus on your circumstances over the Savior. Every time I've been in a tough situation, I have fallen not because of the situation I was in, but because I took my focus off of Christ. We will fall in those circumstances. Now, we could easily like, question Peter, and how could he be distracted? If you think about this, Peter was walking on water with Christ. This is one of the coolest moments in the history of mankind, and he blew it. He couldn't maintain it, and he fell. But how often do we do the same thing? You know, we wake up, we read our Bible, we pray, and how many say this, like, Lord, I'm going to focus on you all day long. I, I'm going to be there with you all day long. Man, I haven't even finished breakfast, and i completely forgotten what I prayed about. Because we get distracted. Because that's why we fall. We fall for two reasons. We fall because of pride. Because you know what? Look what I've done so far. Look what I've done. I think I can keep doing this. Or like Peter, we can fall because we get distracted about the things around us. Because we are truly a distracted society. Just to to prove that point, I want everyone to hold up their cell phone. Come on, get it out. Hold it up. You can keep yours. 
Okay, now I want you to pass them down and put them in this bag, okay? As I come down the aisle. Is that... <laughs> Some of you are desperate to get rid of it. But the rest of you, what do you think when I ask you to do that? I'm crazy? Well, that's beside the point. What else do you think? So, what? Will I get it back? You know, there's a study out of the UK that showed that people losing their cell phone brings the same emotional and stressful response as a terrorist attack. If you don't think we're distracted by insignificant things, we're sadly mistaken. Something that didn't even exist in my childhood, we've grown so attached to that, that we're, we're beyond frenzied if we lose it. But if you think about it, if you think about all the, the meetings you have to do, all the, your spouse's or children's you know, activities that you've got to be a part of, you've got to check your email, check your text, check your voicemail, You've got Instagram and Facebook and all these other things you have to check. Oh, I've got to get the car in the shop. I've got to call the plumber. Man, by the end of the day, you're like, what happened? Anyone get there? Like, we're so caught up in all these frenetic pace of life, we miss the reason we should be living. You know, I've done a lot of research on this topic of distraction as I'm writing my second book. And, and let me tell you, don't ever write a book on distractions. Don't ever... <laughs> I've never been more distracted in my life. <laughs> but as I've looked at all these distractions we deal with on a daily basis, it overwhelms us and it keeps our eyes where they should belong. Because that's all Peter did. He had to just focus on, the, on Christ. And he couldn't do it because he started looking at the waves and the storm and everything going on around him. And he sank and he fell. And this is where we find ourselves on so many times. Because every day... I'll admit, I fall, I sink, because I kept my focus off of Christ. So when we fall, our next step has to be focus. We have to get our focus back where it belongs. You know, for Peter, he had to take his eyes off the storm. He had to make a decision, and he had to put his eyes back where they belong. And this is where Peter prayed the prayer, and he said, as somebody said, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. <clears throat> this is that, Lord, if you get me out of this mess, I will fill in the blank. Do whatever, desperation prayer. I mean, he was at rock bottom. And it's not he was sinking in a nice, quiet lake. This is a raging storm happening and, and Peter sinking to the bottom. Lord, save me. That I'll do anything, get out of this mess and the irony of this prayer is, like I mentioned before, is that if we're honest with ourselves, how many times have we been in that situation because of our own decisions? Because we decided to take our eyes off of Christ. When we take our eyes off of Christ, we will go down a road that will sink us. 100% of the time, we will make bad decisions. We will fall. We will sink when we're making them for ourselves and making inward decisions and not upward decisions we will begin the fall. And it's something we all deal with and we all struggle with in some way or shape or form because we lose our focus. As I've told some of y'all before, i mentioned before, when I was 27 years old, I had my right hip reconstructed. I was limping before that, the prime of my life when I'm supposed to be athletic and do whatever I can. I'm laying in bed just trying to learn how to walk again. The process of the the surgery left me in permanent nerve damage, in permanent pain. 
that I've lived with every day of my life. As I walked out of that surgery, well, we got pushed out. I couldn't walk at that point. But as I was moving out of that, that, that surgery and trying to deal with this, I was trying to keep my focus on Christ. You know, I, I'm going to live for him. I can do this. But the pain was unbearable. The medication I was on would make me cloudy and took me to the point of, of depression, of trying to figure out my life. This is not the life I expected. This is not the life I wanted to live as a, as a person, as a father, as a husband. What was I going to do? And I slowly began to sink. Over about a two-and-a-half-year period, I kept on trying to figure out what's happening. Why am I so much pain? What is the purpose of this? How am I going to live my life? Until I hit rock bottom. And at rock bottom, I was going, I, I took a moment where I was going to go away for several days and just spend it with God. And I was desperate. This was my ultimatum to God. And I don't recommend ever getting in that place. <laughs> it's, but I needed answers. I needed to hear from God. And the main reason was it because my focus got off of Christ and was on my pain. That's all I could think about. But when I put myself in a place like Peter of absolute desperation where I could focus back on Christ, sir, just heard God say, Eric, I got this. I got this. I'm going to be there for you. I got you. But it's only when I put myself in a place to listen, to focus again, to clear out the clutter and the noise, was I able to be lifted back up. That's why we need to keep our focus on Christ, our focus on where it should be in everything that we do. Because no matter where we are, what we're doing, we're going to be sinking at some point. Because if you're like me, you make bad decisions, right? <laughs> and those decisions take our focus off of Christ. But when we take our focus off of Christ, there's another step that I want to talk about, and that is forgiveness. And I'm not going to talk much about this because obviously I could spend probably several weeks talking about forgiveness. But in the context of this story, in the context of what we have to learn, Peter sank. He missed the mark. And there is forgiveness when we do that. No matter how many times we sink, no matter how many times we fall, no matter how many times we take our focus off of Christ, he's there to offer us forgiveness through the grace that only comes through Jesus Christ. You know, Peter had one job. One job, man. Focus on Christ, and he blew it. Peter blew it a lot. He makes me feel good about my own life <laughs> because he was walking with Christ one-on-one, -on -one, and he still blew it over and over again. But God forgave him. Christ forgave him every time. I love the analogy I read one time of, um, you know, Jesus uh, or Peter denying um, Christ three times and the rooster crowing three times. And then three times, Christ asking Peter to feed my sheep. And, and one person put in the context of him forgiving him each time for him telling him, I don't know who you are. Man, no matter how bad we blow it, God's there to forgive us. Because that forgiveness leads to the last most crucial step, and that is formation. Because this is what it's all about, is our own formation. Jesus' response to Peter, I think, is key in this passage because when Peter was sinking, you know, we always try to be good parents, you know, I always try to be, but he wasn't going, now, Peter, what did I tell you? You know, you're sinking again. What are you going to do about it? He just reached down and picked him up. 
You know, he didn't, he didn't have one of those fatherly moments I try to have that usually backfire on me. But he just looked at him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And we could interpret this and, and to, to Jesus looking at Peter and going, Really, Peter? I mean, you've watched me feed thousands of people with a snack. You've watched me raise the dead. You've watched me heal the sick. Did you really think I didn't have this? Did you really think I couldn't take care of you? But how often do we find ourselves in a similar situation? You know, because I know when I pray, you know, I always want God to speak. When I pray, I want to hear from him. You know, if he would bring back that whole writing on the wall thing, it would make a lot of my life a little easier. I don't know about you. But I know that in the context of hearing from Christ, 99% of the time, this would be the response. Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Come on, Eric, I got this. You know this. I've been with you the whole time. Why are you doubting in this moment? Why are you doubting what's happening to you? That's where we find ourselves. Because if this is the attitude that we come to with prayer, and if you believe the Bible... If you only believe part of the Bible, then you have to believe that Jesus is Lord. That he is ruler of all and he desperately wants what's best for you. And will do anything to see that happen. No matter how many poor decisions we make, he's ultimately there to pull us up when we fall. But we have to also remember that being pulled back out of our own poor decision doesn't necessarily mean we're in a safe place. I mean, Peter was pulled back into a raging storm, remember? But he was in the arms of Christ. And I don't think there's any better place we can be in the middle of a storm than in the arms of Christ. Now, I want to step back a little bit and look what's happening with with Peter here. Because if we look at Galatians 14, Paul says that, you know, Christ should be formed in you. Now, Peter, even though he walked with Christ on a daily basis, Christ had not yet been formed in him. And Jesus had plans for Peter from day one. He knew who Peter was, even when he called him out as a fisherman. I mean, Peter's probably like, I can do a fisherman, I can do this. I'll just go do this. The guy's kind of crazy, but I'll go see what happens. And he constantly fumbled, but there was a mission to it as Christ was forming Peter. As we see in in Matthew 16, 18, just a short time after this, we see these words that that Jesus speaks upon Peter. He looks at him, he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Wow! Can you imagine that being spoken over you? And Peter's probably going, what? (laughs) I don't understand. Because Christ is being formed in him. If we fast forward to Acts 2, we see a Peter who's speaking with power, who's speaking with authority, and is speaking over the people in a way that we never see in the Gospels. But I have to think, I have to imagine, it goes back to that day in the boat. After Jesus pulled him out and laid him in the boat, sopping wet, calming the storm again for the second time with the disciples that they had seen. And Peter realizing he truly is the Son of God. Because it says that the disciples sat in that boat and worshipped him. That would be an awesome worship service. Because they realized who was in the boat with them. Now sometimes our own transformation 
is going to take us down some scary roads. You know, I never would have chose pain and suffering for the purpose of my formation. But that's what was handed to me. And that's what I had to walk through. For you, no matter what you're dealing with, whether it be financially or physically or emotionally, if you take your focus off of Christ, you will sink. If you focus on the circumstances that you're in, you will sink. You have to constantly focus on the Father. That should be our takeaway from this passage. I think we need to be honest with ourselves about the fact that we're going to fall. You know, it's happened to the best of us throughout history. But we need to remember those times and focus are where it needs to be, and that's on Christ. For Christ is forming a good work in you. He's forming something greater in you than you can ever do or imagine on your own. So my challenge for you today as you leave this place, as you go back home, go back to wherever you are, I want you to think about where is your focus? Where are you being distracted? And how do you need to get your focus back on Christ? Christ.